Are you ready for the word of God this morning? All right. I'm, woo, I feel like Smokey and the Bandit this morning. I got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, if you will. Ephesians chapter 6. I am starting a new series this morning that I hope makes you very nervous in a good way because I called it Make War. Make War. How many... How many understand spiritual warfare and you know that we're in a war? And, and, and I don't know, we're going to talk about a lot of aspects of this over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter. Um, but I just feel just this war cry in me like, oh no, devil. Oh no. You've done, you've gone too far. You've messed with too many people. And I'm sick and tired. And I've got authority. And God's called me to make war. And we're going to win. That's what I feel like. I ain't never wanted to be on the losing team. If I play old maid with my children, I'm playing to win. I ain't never wanted to lose nothing. You understand? I'll cheat. I'll lie. I'll, no, not really. But, um, but I want to win. You know, someone said, well, pastor, you seem to have dominion theology. I do. Because I ain't got no losing theology. Jesus didn't die on a cross so we could live as losers. He died on a cross so we could win no matter what we're facing. And if he paid for victory, I want to live in it. My God, I ain't even got to the scripture. I feel God's presence. May throw this iPad over and just freewheel this thing. <laughs> I want to win. But I know, I know that we have... Um, experience. I know in the staff, we've experienced a lot of spiritual warfare lately. And you have seasons. It's always there. You have seasons. Um, to be honest, that's why Julie and I took last week off. Um, we'll read this in a minute, but there are territorial spirits. And sometimes when you're fighting them all the time, you just need to move out of the city limits. And I told Julie over spring break, I said, I need to get out of the city limits. I need a break from these spirits. Um, and so we were just resting. And, and, uh, but I think there is a season that God wants to move us into. And listen, God's done all, his part. We have to do our part. We've got a war into that season. And, and I believe God's been speaking that. And when you look at, we have the fervent groups and the circle maker groups. By the way, guys, we have tons of fervent groups. That's women's prayer groups where they're learning to pray and do spiritual warfare for their families. But we need some circle maker groups. I don't know why we can get 100 women to lead a group and we can get like two guys. Um, but guys, we're the heads of our home. And I need about four men this weekend that know how to pray. You don't got to know anything else. Don't got to know. You don't have to know anything else. That was East Texan. I'll put it back in English. Um, you don't have to know anything else, but if you know how to pray and you can, and you can walk through a curriculum with three or four other guys and help them, then, then we need you. Need you this weekend. Um, and, then, and then, by the way, women, they're kicking off the Radiant Warrior series. The Radiant Warrior series this evening. Um, based on registration, I believe so far it will be the largest attended women's event we've ever had. And so you can register. It's not too late. They left registration open for you. They have room for you. Um, I don't know how much dessert they're going to have. I'm coming while y'all are in here. I'm going to sample the desserts. And anyway, this is going to be, and, and people say, well, what is it? Is it a service? You know, I had this thought this morning. It's not a service. It's a radiant warrior rally. That's what it is. Um, and so, but I think there's just this strategy of God and it's just time to make war. And so I want to speak to you from Ephesians chapter 6. 
um, this morning. I want to equip you for the war ahead, just like Paul. Um, Ephesians is probably one of my favorite books. And uh, in fact, at dinner last night, Julie was talking about it because she's going to be speaking from Ephesians also. And I love the book of Ephesians. And she said something last night that I'd never really thought of, but when she said it, I, my, my spirit said, amen. And that was, she said, I believe the whole book of Ephesians is about spiritual warfare. And when she said that, my mind ran through the book of Ephesians and I thought, I think she's right. I absolutely think the whole book of Ephesians is about a warfare that we fight. In fact, you can break Ephesians into two, two categories or, or two sides. It's six chapters. The first three are about our, our, about our position and the second three are about our practice. Our position, our practice. Let me show you when you think in the context of, of a spiritual war. Paul's, Paul's in prison in Rome, and I think he gets this revelation about the church that he hasn't had before. And he writes a circular letter to the churches of Ephesus, which was a pretty important, influential, and powerful city. It was a port city. But, but when you look at it, first of all, he writes the first three chapters about our position. He talks about our possessions, our position, and our power. That's what he talks about in the first three chapters. And you think about if you're going to wage war, you need to know what you have, where your position is, and what power you possess, right? And then he talks about our practice. He goes on to talk about our responsibility, our walk, and our warfare. And, and that's just my outline. I made that up after I heard what Julie said. I, in my mind, I thought, well, chapter one, that's what we have. Chapter two, that's where we stand. Chapter three, that's the power we possess. Chapter four, that's the responsibility we have. Chapter five, that's the walk we walk. And chapter six, that's the war we wage. And I thought, yeah, he's laying a foundation. And that's why when you get to Ephesians 6 verse 12 or verse 10, where I want to pick up, he's laid this foundation. And then he says this in Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, in other words, I've talked about what you have, who you are. I've talked about the power you possess. I've talked about the responsibility that you have. I've talked about the walk that you walk. And I've talked now. Now it's about the war that you wage. He said, finally. And I, and I knew I was speaking this because I had already preached it once. And when she said that at dinner, I'm like, that's why he says finally. Because he spent five chapters laying the foundation of this war that we're fighting. And now he says, finally. Like I've been working to, that's how I feel at the end of this message. When I get to the end of this message and I lay the last point on you, that's how I feel. Finally, I got here. We made it. But I love this. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't ask you to win with your strength? Aren't you glad that God's not telling you to depend on your physical prowess or your ability or your strength or your might or your power. Paul says, finally, brethren, be strong, not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says this, you're fighting a battle, but you're not fighting it from you. You're fighting it from him. You're waging a war, but you're not fighting with your resources. You're fighting with the resources of heaven. You're engaged in a battle, but don't worry. You don't need your strength. You need to be tapped into his strength. Is that good news for you? Because that's good news for me. Finally. Well, I like that. 
Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, by the way, would be tactics or schemes. Tactics or schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now notice this. He's not saying that we're not wrestling. He's just identifying who we're wrestling. See, you thought you was wrestling with your husband. Well, <laughs> thought you was wrestling with your boss. We're wrestling, he says, but it's against principle. Now, hang on. I need to do this just for a minute. If you're one of those people and you've accepted one of those theologies that there is no devil and there's no demon, 70% of seminary students now do not believe in a literal hell. If you've accepted one of those theologies out of convenience and comfort where there is no devil and there's no demons and there's no spiritual war, then you're neither going to put your fingers in your ears, close your eyes and go, no, 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 while I read this verse out of the Bible that you say you believe in. Verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. And then he says, therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God. I'll be talking about that next week. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I called this message Make your stand. That's what Paul's telling the church of Ephesus. He's like, hey guys, he lays this foundation of what they have and who they are and the responsibility and the walk and the power that they possess. And then he says, guys, I, I laid this foundation because you're gonna have to make your stand. Listen to me, young people. It's not enough for your parents to make their stand. It's not enough for the pastor to make his stand. If you're going to win, you're going to have to make your stand. And he's saying, guys, it's time to make your stand. And that's what I want to talk about. If you were so inclined, you could write down my points this morning because they would probably prove helpful probably about 2 o'clock this afternoon, if not 1. But the first thing is this that Paul is telling us when he's talking about making our stand. He's saying, hey, our war is with angels. You're going to have to stand against angels. Now, wait a second, because you're like, wait a second. I thought angels were little, little baby looking things with wings that had a little loincloth like sash thing. And they ran around shooting bows and arrows and bless your heart. That's what my grandmother would tell you. Bless your heart. God love it. Um, Ephesians Six, we read it verse 12, but it says that we're waging this war. We're standing against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness, wickedness in heavenly places. You need to understand first and foremost that this war is a spiritual war, that we are warring against spirits. You say, I don't believe in spirits. You ever heard of a Ouija board? How do you think it works? It's not a board game. Ever seen a palm reader? Ever, ever seen a commercial for a fortune teller? <clears throat> oh, I thought that was just being silly. No, no, no. Bless your heart. <laughs> there are spiritual powers. You need to understand we're in a spiritual war. You need to understand we're spiritual beings. Right? And so we're, in, we're engaged. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, you're engaged in a spiritual war against demonic forces and demons or fallen angels. That's what he's trying to explain. In fact, I could give you the backstory, and I will, that before the creation of man, 
there was a revolt in heaven where this archangel named Lucifer, who was created to lead worship in heaven, he was a created being, he was a created angelic being, an archangel, if you will, and he led a revolt against God. In fact, you can read it in Isaiah 14, 12. It says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how are you cut down to the ground? You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, this is what Lucifer, here was his sin. His sin was pride. When people say the first sin was Adam and Eve. No, 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 this was the first sin. It was pride. He's, because Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But then Isaiah, speaking from the Lord, says, no, but you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. You need to understand that Lucifer was an archangel and he led a revolt against God because he thought he deserved to be God. And, and not only that, but, but we could read in Revelation 12 where it talks about um, how this dragon, who we assume to be Lucifer, most theologians do, led a third of the stars of heaven in this revolt, and they were all cast down. In other words, most theologians believe that Lucifer led a revolt against God, and he deceived a third of the angelic host of heaven to be on his side. Now, what you need to know is the war didn't last long, because Jesus said, and I saw like lightning Satan cast down. In other words, Satan not very smart. <laughs> he, he, Forrest Gump had more on him. But anyways, but he said, I saw like lightning, Satan being cast down. And so God ejected, if you will. <laughs> God pushed Satan and those angelic hosts. In fact, Peter and Jude both talk about the, the fallen angels. And God kicked them out of heaven. But here's the thing, where did he kick them to? The earth. Why do you think that in Genesis 1, when it opens up and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, and then it describes earth, and it says, the earth was without form, it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, who's the prince of darkness? Right? And so when Genesis open, it's telling us the condition of a planet when Satan rules over it. It's without form. It's chaotic and it's dark. Anything Satan rules over will be chaotic and dark. Let him rule over any part of your life. It's going to be chaotic and dark because that's the best he can do. Right? And so here is this planet where Satan has been cast down to with his angels and he set up his little shop down here and it's chaotic and dark. And then God says, let us make man, right? And so then God comes and he brings order to the earth, right? God is always a God of order. Satan is always a God of confusion. He's the little God, the Bible says of this world. He is the God of confusion, and God says, let's make order on the earth. And God organizes the earth. And he makes this place called Eden. 
And then God creates man and puts man in this garden of Eden on the earth. Now, here's why that's significant. Because Satan's fall was based on his will. Created beings have a will. We get to choose God or not. Satan didn't choose God. He chose himself. Then God designs another created being. Now, here's what you don't know. If you read Ezekiel 28, you'll find out that Satan, where he lived in heaven, was called Eden. And God creates another being and puts him in Eden and says, hey, I want you to choose me. That's why Satan hates you so much. Because you made the choice that he didn't. Right? I'll tell you why else Satan hates you. Because he said, I will be like God. And he couldn't. And then God says, let us make man in our image and in our... And part of the redemption of our creation is the choice that we make with our volition or our will in that we choose God where Satan in his will and those demons did not choose him. Are you with me? And so here is now, Satan was cast down to the earth, and now here's Adam and Eve, and God comes to them and says, I've made you in my image and my likeness. I put you in Eden, but he didn't stop there. He said, what's behind door number three? Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you dominion over every part of this creation. And in one day, the kingdom of darkness lost everything, or maybe you said in six days, the kingdom of darkness lost everything they thought they had. And that's why you see the first spiritual war in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say? You know, the first, the first level of warfare that's always waged by the enemy is to disrupt the communication from the general. Did God really say that marriage was between a man and a woman? Oh, crap. He went there. My God. <laughs> Things were going so well. Did God really say? Did God really say? Right? First thing he does, he starts distorting communication. Because he knows when... When God's creation walks in God's authority and, God, and the obedience to God, he can't win. And so you see the first warfare, and then Adam and Eve make a terrible decision, and that is they did what Satan did. They said, well, I want to choose me and not God. I want to have this knowledge that this serpent is telling me about and not trust that God's given me everything that I need. You know, isn't that... I don't know. Do we deal with that today when we go after something, trying to get something that God didn't want us to have or promise to us instead of resting in what God's already given us? I've done a lot of marriage counseling that fell apart because, well, she wasn't meeting my needs, so I had to go find... Well, the problem is you're a jack wagon. If you wouldn't be such a jack wagon, you could be happy with her. Problem is you leave her, find somebody else, you're still going to be there, Jack. Well... Jesus is the answer. Anyways, let me move right along. And so if you will, just to give an analogy, God gave Adam, the earth belonged to the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof, but he gave Adam the keys to earth. He said, you have dominion, you have authority. 
right? And Satan wanted those keys. And so he, he knew the way that you strip man of his authority is you strip him of his relationship with God. And so he attacked Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent, just asking a question, making them doubt the word of God. And Satan, in one day, regained the keys of earth. And he is the little God of this world, or was, because he had those keys. That's why when he comes to Jesus and says, hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms, because he actually had the authority to do it, right? And so Satan takes over the planet, and what happens when Satan rules over anything? Darkness and chaos. And so you have, the, you have the first murder. You have the first family conflict. You have the first father and son where Adam sends Cain away, right? You have, right? Are you with me? Right? All of a sudden, chaos and disorder come into being because Satan's in charge again. Listen, can I just say something? Don't play with his stuff. Sometimes I think people try to say, how close can I get to the world and still be a believer? I was talking to someone about a man I, I, that, that I did business with or do business with or had done business with. And I said, I said you know, his whole thing is how, clo how, how close, how greedy can I be and still be a Christian? Because my dealings with him is you don't do anything that's not in writing. And, and here's the thing. I don't think we understand that he's playing for keeps. You tell your kids not to play with fire, then we see how worldly we can be and still, and still be a believer. <clears throat> okay, I'll just keep moving. I just... <laughs> and so Satan takes over, and then Jesus comes. And here's another son on the planet. And Jesus said, well, a man lost the keys to the earth, and so a man's got to win them back. And so Jesus came and he, he lived a sinless life, lived a spotless life, if you will. And then he died our death and then he rose again. And people wonder where he was at those three days in the tomb. I'll tell you where he was because the Bible tells us. It says, he who ascended, how could he ascend unless he first descended into the depths of the earth? Essentially, Jesus went to hell's, Jesus went to hell. He went to Satan's house, knocked on the door and said, I believe you have my keys. I got to thinking about this. I'm sure when Jesus was hanging on that cross and he said, Father, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says then he gave up his spirit and he died. I think hell went crazy. They were having a party. We have killed the Messiah. We've killed the Son of God. And, and they didn't quite get the hats on, the party hats and the kazoos out until they heard. They answered the door and said, all stink. Because <laughs> Jesus was standing there and he said, I believe you got my keys. <laughs> and the Bible says, then he led captivity captive. In other words, Jesus went out into the pits of Sheol and preached the gospel to every prisoner Satan had taken. And they had an opportunity to follow him out. And he led every captive of Satan out of hell. He led captivity, had a parade in Satan's house. You know you're bad when you whoop them on their ground and then have a parade in their city. <laughs> right? The Patriots won the Super Bowl, but they had the parade in Boston. Right? Jesus had his parade in hell. No, it's, I'm going to have my parade where it matters the most. 
And so that's why Jesus could say, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever is bound in heaven, you can bind on the earth. And whatever is loosed in heaven, you can loose on the earth. I've given you authority back over the earth. So we have authority because Jesus won it back. And that's the story. Yeah, that's the story. And so you need to understand that this is, this is where the battle is now. Satan does not like, you need to understand, he hates you. He is not your friend. And he hates you because, number one, you look like God. And he can't look like God. In fact, if you read Isaiah, he was disfigured when he fell. He's not pretty anymore. He's the most beautiful angel God had created, but not anymore. But you look, you look like God, you belong to God, and you have the authority that he wants. So you need to understand he's not your friend. Right? And you need to understand this, that you're in a war whether you like it or not. I think sometimes people are like, well, I don't really want to be in the war. You know, I just, you know, y'all can fight, y'all can fight. But listen, earth is a battleground and you were born here. The battleground is earth and that's where you live. So it's not this choice like, well, I'm not, I'm just going to mind my own business. Yeah. Go out on a battlefield where mortar shells are going off and bullets are flying and have yourself a picnic and see how that goes. You don't get that option. You're in the bat. You're, you're on the battlefield. You best stop crying, get a gun and learn how to fight. Are you with me? There are only two sides, by the way. There's no neutral side because I, I met people like atheists and agnostics and they're like, well, I don't really believe in God. I don't really believe in the devil. I'm just on my own side. Sorry, that option's not on the test. <laughs> Colossians tells us there is a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. There is the prince of darkness and the prince of peace. There are only two sides, and you are either an enemy of Satan or you're an enemy of God, but you don't get a middle ground. Somebody's going to nuke your butt. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Just touch somebody and said, he makes it plain. He makes it plain. <laughs> At least I understand. <laughs> only two sides. That's why, that's why Romans 8 says to be carnally minded is to be an enemy of God. Right? John said it this way, you love the world, you're an enemy of God. In other words, there's only two sides. And you try to find neutral ground, you're just an enemy of God. Okay, so, so we're in a war against angelic beings. And here's the thing, the war is fought spiritually, but we see the effects physically. Like you say, well, I'm not in a war. Then why are there so many POWs? Yeah, your cousin that can't get off drugs. What do you think that's about? Right? Your friend that's going through a divorce. What do you think that's about? Your son that's addicted to pornography. What do you think that's about? The depression you can't get beyond. What do you think that's about? It's because it's, we're in a war. And you'd best figure out what side you're on and learn to fight. So, so we're in a battle against demonic angels. Here's the second thing. We are not. We're making our stand against demonic angels. We are not warring with people. We're not making a stand against people. 
Paul in verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, our battle isn't actually in this realm. The war is actually being raged, waged in, in, in the, the realm of the heavenlies. Now, let me explain that because people think, well, heaven is on the other side of the Milky Way where Jesus lives. Okay, let me help you with that. That's not right. Um, we live in a physical realm, but there's also a spiritual. Have you ever walked into a place and kind of felt like, man, I don't, man, where'd my peace go? Or driven into a city and thought, man, this feels yucky, right? Do you know why? Because you're a spiritual being and you're having a temporary physical experience. You're a spiritual being and your spirit is seeing things, sensing things, and understanding things that your body's trying to interpret, you're not a physical being that will someday have a spiritual experience. You're, a spirit, you're an eternal spiritual being that is temporarily having a physical experience and the spirit realm is here on top of the physical realm. That's why Jesus talks about spiritual sight and spiritual senses so that you can, so that you can understand you're a spiritual being and there is a realm of the heavenlies all around. If all of a sudden our eyes were open and we could see the angelic host and the wars going on, some of you wouldn't be able to move for a month. <laughs> right? You remember when they were after the prophet, um, Eli Elijah, Elisha, and, and they were coming to kill him. And the army surrounded him and his little servant went out for breakfast, you know, and looked up and said, uh-oh. And these armies were all around. And Elijah, you know what he said? God, open his eyes that he can see. And God opened his eyes. He wasn't blind, but God opened his spiritual eyes. And he said, so he can see there is more for us than against us. And all of a sudden, God opened his eyes to the angelic host of heaven. And he's like, well, I think we're going to be all right then. I didn't, I didn't see that. And so we need to understand that we're fighting a war in the heavenlies. And we see the effects in the natural. But you don't fight the war in the natural. You fight the war in the heavenlies. And when we fight the war in the natural, we fight against people. And when we fight against people, we lose. As long as you want to fight against people, you're going to lose. Now, I do know, I do know that sometimes the enemy uses people. In fact, sometimes he uses believers. He uses good people. They're not bad people. Do you know how he uses people? He uses whoever he can deceive. I had a lady tell me one time, well, pastor, if I was deceived, I would know it. Sister, that's dumb, <laughs> right? He works by deception. The Bible says he deceives the nations. He's the father of lies. In fact, Jesus said he's the father of lies, and when he speaks, he speaks a lie because he speaks out of who he is, and who he is is all based on lies and darkness and shadows. He's a deceiver, and he'll use whoever he can deceive. And if we're all being honest, he's used us at some point or another to hurt somebody else, and we didn't see it at the time, and we didn't mean it at the time. But we just didn't see what we needed to see, and we didn't check our tongue, and we didn't check our motives, and we didn't check what was going on. 
It's okay, God's gracious, but it's just proof that God will use anybody, I mean, Satan will use anybody that he can deceive. And this is what you need to understand. It's kind of like, you know, when they start preaching, every time there's a shooting, they preach about gun control. And, and I don't know, I hope this doesn't offend you. If it does, then you're just going to have to love me through it. And if you leave this church because I like guns, that's dumb. I don't leave this church because you don't like them. Anyways. But, but I have a few guns. They're in a gun safe. But there have been times, don't tell Julie, there have been times where I left the gun safe open, even with the kids there. And that's my, all my kids know how to use the guns. I call that a fair fight. They all know how to use the AR. They can lock and load that thing and take you out. Right? Because if you're going to break in my house, you need to know everybody knows how to use the AR. And hopefully we have more guns and ammunition than you. To me, that's fair. That was your warning. Right? But here's the thing about those guns. I've left that thing unlocked and those guns sitting in there and then come in the closet that night and then think, oh my God, left the gun safe open. And I looked in there, you know what's crazy? There's no dead bodies in the house. Nobody's been shot. Nothing's been destroyed. In fact, they're all just sitting there right where I left them. They're so obedient. They just stayed right there. They didn't hurt anybody while I was gone. They didn't commit any crimes. They didn't rob any banks. They didn't threaten anybody. They didn't even make any social media posts. They're just sitting there. Do you know why? Because guns are neutral. Right? Guns are neutral. You put them in the hand of a police officer and they wield protection. And you put them in the hands of a criminal and they wield chaos. They're neutral. Can I tell you something about people? They're neutral. You put them in God's hand and they wage a war. You put them in the enemy's hand and they war against people. Right? They war against people. And that's why Paul said, you got to be careful. Listen, anytime the church wars against people, we're losing the battle because we're not even fighting on the right field. So when the church wages war against the politician, we're losing. When we wage war against the homosexual, we're losing. You hear what I'm telling you? When we wage war against the abortionist, we're losing because we're not even fighting the right battle on the right field. We're just, as Paul said, beating the air. We're just making ourselves tired and not accomplishing anything. Can I tell you something else the enemy is really good about? He's really good about getting the church to fight the church. Well, I like blue carpet. Well, I like red carpet. Well, we can't go to church together because we're both stupid. Right? Well, I like this song and I like that song. Well, we can't be friends anymore because we don't like the same songs. Listen, Julie and I don't like all the same songs. She doesn't like country music. I'm praying for her. I don't understand that. I know Jesus is the king of kings, but George is still the king of country. Amen? You hear what I'm telling you? But we can be married even though she doesn't like country. I'll tell you another way the enemy wages war. He uses prayer request. You know, you need to pray for the pastor because you know what I heard? <laughs> right? I've just been so concerned about the church. Well, if you're concerned, why don't you go talk to the leadership? If you're concerned, 
get off the freaking phone and get on your knees and pray about something. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Because we're fighting the wrong battle on the wrong field. Sometimes I'm amazed at what I find out that I did. I'm the last to know sometimes. It's sometimes scary. I'm like, do I have a split personality? Is there more than one of me? Am I schizophrenic? I didn't even know I said that. I didn't even know I did that. I've never had a conversation with that person. Right? And find out everybody else been talking about. It. You know, in our staff, we have a, a policy about gossip. See, we won't talk about gossip anymore. Um, gossip, by the way, is one of the seven things that God hates. I don't think we should tolerate what God hates. I just don't think we should. So we adopted this policy, and now we've kind of we're we're kind of modeling our ministry after uh, Dave Ramsey, and that is that with gossip, if you're on staff with us with gossip, you get one warning. After that, you get to find a new job because God hates it and we're not going to have it in the church. Now, let me help you with what gossip is because some people don't know. And that's why we have one warning because we define it. Gossip is having a conversation about a problem with someone who can do nothing to fix it. So when you have a conversation about a problem with another person or a problem with the church or a problem with a leader or a problem with your neighbor or a problem with your husband and you're having a conversation with someone about it and they have no power to fix it, you are gossiping. Right? Because if, if someone's coming to you and they're having a problem, see, you need to know, is this giving life or taking life? Because if you're having a conversation and it's sucking the life out of you, in that it's not joyful, it's not peaceful, it's, and none of the fruits of the Spirit are there. If you're having a conversation, it's taking life. Well, guess who takes life? Now you know who's working in that conversation. But if you have a conversation that's given life, now you know who's working in that conversation. It's pretty easy to discern the two. I know people love negative news. I mean, gosh, just turn on the TV. My God, I, I quit watching the news. I'm like, we can't find anything positive to talk about. But I'm telling you, we got to be on guard and understand this is what the enemy does because he wants the church war in the church. He wants the people fighting with the leaders. He wants the people fighting with each other. He wants the leaders fighting with the people. That's what he wants. And we need to understand that's how he works. And if someone has a conversation with you and it's negative, you need to say, hey, according to the Bible, since we can't fix the problem, we need to go to somebody who can. So let's walk across the street to your neighbor's house. Let's sit down with your husband. Let's go talk to the leader. Are you with me? Because the enemy wants us to fight each other. Let's just not fight each other. That's the wrong battle, the wrong field. Here's the last point that I want to make. And this is the best point to me. So you're just going to have to hang on. Because I've already gone long. But it was good. It was worth it. So we're fighting angels. We're not fighting people. But here's the last thing. <laughs> Our war has been won. <laughs> Our war has been won. <laughs> Our war has been won. See, we need to understand that, that uh, Jesus defeated Satan. Did you hear what I said? I saw a, a picture one time on social media that made me question because it had Satan and Jesus arm wrestling. I'm like, do what? 
I mean, I think it was a well-intentioned person, I'm sure, but I'm like, oh, Lord, honey, you need some Bible education. If they were to arm wrestle, in fact, they did. They did arm wrestle because it says Jesus disarmed. They arm wrestled. Jesus ripped Satan's arms off and went about beating him to death with them. That's what happened. He disarmed him. Well, Ephesians says, we'll read it in a minute, it disarmed him. You need to understand, listen to me, the devil thought he was going to fight God and that lasted almost one second. And then the devil thought he was going to fight Jesus, that lasted almost one day. So far he's 0-2 and, and not dumb enough to try again. Right? Why do you think he's fighting you? Because <laughs> he knows he can't fight them. So you need to understand that Satan was defeated. Now, how do you conquer Satan? Because I think this is relevant to understand. How do you conquer Satan? Well, to conquer Satan, you have to conquer death because death is his weapon. But to conquer death, you've got to conquer sin because temptation and sin is how he gets you to death. Are you with me? Well, how do you conquer sin? Well, you have to pay for it. Well, how do you conquer death? You have to get up from it. Could I read you just a couple of scriptures? Colossians 2.13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood, the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, hold time. When they crucified people, they would post on a sign their sin and their debts that couldn't be paid. And what it says Jesus did by dying on the cross was, he erased our debt because he was paying for it. Are you with me? So, so it says he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That's very important. Legal demands. In other words, now legally we're debt free. See, to me, this is good news. When it's good news, I tell my face. All right. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Watch this. He disarmed. See, there's the arm wrestling because it's Colossians. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So if I'm going to defeat Satan, I got to defeat death. But to defeat death, I got to defeat sin. So Colossians tells us Jesus defeated sin. He's paid for your sin. There is no more payment needed for your sin. Today, if you're the most sinful person in the world, I got good news. It's already been paid for. Jesus already nailed it to the cross. By faith, you just receive the payment. Are you with me? You got a debt that you can't pay, but if you'll believe in Jesus, he'll fill your account with the funds to pay it. My God, that's good preaching. I don't know where y'all are at, but I'm having church. So you defeat sin, but now we defeat death. Hebrews 2, 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, Jesus also partook of the same things. In other words, he became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How do you defeat Satan? You defeat death. How do you defeat death? You come and you die and you get up three days later. That's how you defeat death. That's why the Bible says in Revelation 
Verse 20, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death has no power. We were crucified with Christ and we were raised with Christ. Romans 6 says, and now death has no power over us. And if death has no power, Satan has no power. For this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy every work of the enemy. Do you hear what I'm telling you? This is the message hell don't want you to hear. You need to understand Jesus 1. Ephesians 1.20 says, God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above. Not just above, far above, not even close, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, is Jesus above all things? Is Satan one of those all things? Is a demon an all thing? Is demonic power and stronghold an all thing? Is Jesus seated far above all things? Then I got better news. Because if you were to keep reading in the book of Ephesians, you'd get to chapter 2, verse 6 that says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Is Christ seated far above all demonic power? Then you're seated far above all demonic power. If everything is under Christ's feet, everything is under your feet. You understand Satan is under our feet. I love Romans 16 verse 20. Because Romans 16 verse 20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. You see that? Where's Satan at? He's under my feet. We used to have a song people get plum silly singing. You got to be Pentecostal to know it. Talked about going to the enemy's camp and he's under our feet. He's under our feet. People go crazy and lose their mind. We might need to sing it next week. I don't know. You need to understand that Satan is under your feet and the God of peace is crushing Satan with your feet. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he said, now I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. I give you authority over all. Can I tell you, Satan has never been in a fair fight because he's never been in a fight he could win. If he's fighting God, he can't win. If he's fighting Jesus, he can't win. But if he's fighting you, he still can't win. Bless his heart. Hurts to be a loser. He's not a loser. He's just always second place. There's only two people racing. Luke 10, Jesus says he gives us power over all the authority of the enemy. You know, when Paul says we're more than a conquerors, you know, you know, you know how I apply that? See, a conqueror is someone who conquers and therefore gets the spoils of victory. 
But when Paul's telling us we're more than a conqueror, it's because we didn't conquer, but we get all the spoils of victory. We didn't fight sin and death, but we're free from sin and death. We don't deserve to be seated at the right hand of God, but we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Do you understand? That's what it's like to be more than a conqueror. We didn't go to battle, but we get the spoils of war. Let me finish this. I'm going to ask them to put up um, Ephesians 6. Are you okay? Are you still breathing? This may be the best message I've ever preached in my life. Ephesians 6 verse 11. I've definitely had the most fun. Ephesians 6 verse 11. It says this, because we're talking about making our stand. It said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Do you see that? Against the schemes of the enemy. Then verse 13 says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. When I read this text, I thought, now why are you telling me to stand? Seems like we should do something more than that, right? You should be telling me to fight. You should be telling me to win. You should be telling me to charge. Yet Paul's saying, stand. Then I realized, oh yeah, because the war's over. (laughs) I'm just occupying what's been won. I don't don't have to win the war. The war's already been won 2,000 years ago. It's just Satan doesn't want you to know that the war's been won. Now, Paul's saying, here's the warfare. Stand in your position. Stand in your place. Stand in your power. Stand in your armor. Stand. Having done all, just stand. That's what he told Moses. Having done all, Moses, you led these people out in the wilderness, and now you're at the Red Sea, and you think you're under attack. Said, having done all to stand, stand and see the salvation of God. In other words, I'm standing in his strength. I'm standing in his place. I'm standing or I'm seated with him in heavenly realms. I'm standing in his authority. I'm standing in his power, and the enemy can't touch me because I'm standing in Jesus. Go ahead and stand up. Give him praise. Go crazy. Let me hear a battle cry this morning. Make your stand. Are you ready to make your stand? Make your stand. Make your stand. Because we're in a war. My God, that's good preaching. Nobody's more surprised than me when it turns out like that. That's good. Are you ready to make your stand with your family, with your body, with your finances, with your addiction, with your depression, with your situation? you ready to make your stand? It's not enough for the pastor to make his stand. It's not enough for your husband or your wife to make their stand. You're going to have to make your stand. You're going to have to make your stand. You ready to make your stand? I believe it. God's good.